Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 80 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. And fall camp is over, and there's two weeks of game preparation coming up, so we're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment and uh, Dan Weiking in the second segment all about the USC football team. What's been going on there? We're going to talk some recruiting, answering your questions. A lot of wide receiver questions in recruiting. We'll talk with Gerard Martinez coming up in a little bit. And if you have questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. And in the first segment, as promised, we have the coach, Harvey Hyde, joining us all the way from Catalina Island, beautiful Catalina. How are you doing today, coach? I'm doing great, except I have to break camp today. We uh, are leaving the island here on Wednesday and uh, getting back. I've been going back and forth, as our listeners know, during the summer months to sort of get ready for camp. I just got back from walking the hills to get uh, all pumped up for Saturday's final scrimmage at the Coliseum at 1230. And then uh, it's game week. So uh, things are going well. I'm excited about getting uh, into the college football season. And, of course, this is going to be a very interesting football season for USC. Certainly will be, Coach. And just wanted to, real quick, thank our sponsors, Southern California Tickets. They sponsor the segment with Coach Harvey Hyde every week. SCTickets.com is the website address, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 for tickets to concerts, sporting events, theater. And there's a little thing called uh, USC football coming up in a couple weeks. If you need tickets for that, you can definitely go to SCTickets.com. And, Coach, you know, we, uh, we, we've had, a, I think it's probably our longest question ever. It's been taking us about three weeks to answer this thing. Um, you know, it was just kind of a request to break down the positions if you didn't join us the last couple of weeks. Uh, the last two weeks, coaches broke down the entire defense, and I thought we're going to start with the offense today, if that's okay with you. And, you know, maybe with the guys up front in the offensive line and uh, kind of see what your thoughts are. You know, it's a deep group. There's a lot of, lot of talent there. I mean, obviously, Chris O'Dowd getting hurt. Uh, makes them shift a little bit, but there still seems to have a lot of bodies there, a lot of talent, and a lot of experience on this offensive line. No, there is a lot of experience on this offensive line. In fact, most, most uh, preseason publications have the USC offensive line rated as the number one offensive line in the country. Uh, they have depth. Uh, that's why when they lost uh, uh, Christopher O'Dowd, uh, there was concern. Don't get me wrong, because he's a preseason all, uh, predicted preseason All-American, All-Pac-10, and, and so on. But, you know, there was a depth there to, to sort of move a few players around and, and uh, not feel the damage that much. You always feel a damage when you lose your starter because you have someone there. But, so of course, you know, Christopher's missed spring practice, too. So he's missed a lot of reps. And I think that's one thing that could hurt him, uh, being injured and, and not going through spring and now missing fall camp and then coming back. And, you know, who knows uh, exactly, you know, First of all, I was surprised. I was really surprised they moved Alex Parson there. Not not that Alex can't play that position, but you know the entire spring Jeff Byers was the uh, center, 
and they felt that would be his NFL position and so on. And he got a lot of practice at center. Uh, Alex did too, but but I thought Jeff might go there and and uh, and when and play center until uh, Christopher came back. And and if he did that, I thought it might be very tough for Christopher to get his position back with Jeff there because the guards would really strengthen uh, uh, and play well. And I think they have good depth at the guards and they have good depth at tackle spot. So uh, it sort of surprised me, but I really think Alex Parson will do a great job. He's a good athlete. He's versatile. He's been going the entire spring. He's got most of the camp reps and uh, he's a big kid, six, four, 300 pounds. And, a senior, and I and I and it's good to have a senior in the middle there uh, making the calls and so on this season. So been around the program a long time, so we'll have to see just exactly what type of condition Christopher comes back with. A dislocated kneecap is not an easy thing to recover from, especially when you push off on short yardage situations and so on. So we'll have to see what happens with the center position, but. But, you know, I think uh, with the other players that are there, of course, Jeff Byers could always move over. You've got Michael Reardon there, uh, the young freshman. You don't want to play John Martinez. I think Garrett Nolan's still playing center. Uh, but uh, that's what I—that's that's the offensive line position, or that's the center position, and, and that, that's how I feel about that. I think Alex is going to do a, a great job there, and I, I really don't know if Christopher can fight back that quickly and be ready for Ohio State or be ready for – Washington or Notre Dame because uh, you get out of shape and you lose a lot of strength in your knee and and, and Alex is a big kid that'll do a great job. All right, uh, so we talk about the center spot now. You know, there's you mentioned some versatility there, and I think that's I think Pete Carroll enjoys that a lot that they can move guys around a little bit. One of the guys you mentioned, Jeff Byers. I mean, he's going to be you know a mainstay there at guard, but you know he might have to come in and play center as well. What do you think about the, the guard spots and and the guys playing there? Well, you know, at the left guard, it's automatic. Jeff Byers, that's where he is. He's a senior. He's, having, he's back for his sixth year. Uh, it was great that he did come back to play, and they did give him his sixth year. He's the leader of the offensive line. Uh, he should have a banner year and uh, should be, be really good there. Uh, as far as the depth on the offensive line at guard, I think it's tremendous. You've got Zach. Now, help me pronounce his name. Is it Hibbler? Heberer, yeah. Hebler, well, I was close. Yeah. Jack Hebler, you <laughs> got him coming back, and you know, he's a, a big kid, a junior that played a lot last year, and he's played a lot. He's got experience, and uh, I think he's a strong kid. So I think he'll do a good job. That Khalid Holmes uh, is a great athlete. He's going to be a great player someday, but he's not ready to play right now. Martin Coleman, he's been hampered with injuries since he's been at SC. He came in early and. He just he's like a Luther Brown. If I was to take a, a offensive player and a defensive player who's had problems when they've been at SC as they've come in at SC, I'd take Luther Brown on defense and Martin Coleman on offense. They're both great players, great recruits, but they've always been banged up or had some type of something surrounding them that has kept them away from the playing field. Uh, as far as the other guard is concerned, uh, Nick Howell uh, is a returner, a senior. Uh, I, I think he could play, and you got Parsons who could always go back there if Byers went to center or something happened there. So, you know, you could always move uh, Tyrone Smith, the guard. I mean, what a great athlete he's going to be. You know, to think about leaving uh, one of these guys on the bench, Butch Lewis, Charles Brown, Tyrone Smith, and the way Matt Khalili has, has, Khalil has come along as a freshman, 
uh, you've got a lot of depth and you've got a lot of players that you can move around. So I think that the guard positions are solid. The ta- tackle positions are solid. It's just who you're going to play where and when. Uh, I think that the quickest feet on the offensive line so far that I've seen this this fall and spring are Butch Lewis's feet. He's got great feet. Tyrone Smith has got great feet. Uh, these two guys could 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 play guard if it had to happen. Yeah, Butch but, Lewis. Uh, coach, I don't think they, they've actually you, played. Butch Lewis has got some time at guard this fall. So I mean, that's I, I think he sees that. Wow, it looks like Tyrone Smith might be the starter. Uh, it might be harder for him to get his position back playing tackle, and I think he's you know been willing to try other spots. So they they, they might you know use him at guard some, and so I think there's some options there like we talked about. Exactly because he's got great feet. I really like his feet. You know today in pass blocking and 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 blocking schemes and so on, you've got to have great feet to get in position with these quick defensive linemen and so on. And that's the well, first thing you look at is the feet of an offensive lineman. Does he have great feet? Can he stay in position? Can he get in position? Can he cut the gap off? Can he do all the different things that are necessary uh, in playing offensive line? And, and these two kids certainly can do that. Not that the others can't, but I, I'm very impressed by the feet that Lewis and Smith have. So I think the offensive line is, is solid. Uh, I'd like to see them be aggressive. I like to see him get off the football when it's a third and two or a fourth and one. There's no question that they can get that. It's attitude, and uh, I think their attitude needs to be uh, one that uh, you know we can get whatever's necessary. If you want us to drive down the football field, we'll do that. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really waiting to see. To be honest with you, and I don't want to jump to quarterbacks, but talking about philosophies. I'm really looking forward to see what Jeremy Bates' play calling is going to be uh, as far as what type of rhythm is he going to put this offense in. Is it going to be run, pass, pass, run, or, or what is his philosophy? You know, I, I've heard a lot about his play calling. I want to see what his thinking is going to be uh, against San Jose, what his thinking is going to be against Ohio State, uh, what the Trojans are going to try to accomplish are they going to take advantage of their offensive line? Do they have the faith in their offensive line to protect Aaron Corp that he doesn't get hit? And can they run the football? When it's time to run the football in the third and two, are they going to pass the ball? Or are they going to just get the ball across there and they have the confidence in their line and their backs to make that first down? And it's good to be able to do it both ways. Don't get me wrong. But I'm really, when you have the, when, when everybody says you have the number one offensive line in the country, talent wise, then you should be able to do both well. And I'd like to see the Trojans this year take advantage of that and have this line do both well run the football and be able to pass block. Yeah, and I think a lot of fans are curious as well, coach. And the, you know, the last scrimmage wasn't all that encouraging with a two to nothing score. Uh, Pete Carroll mentioned the other day, you know, having Charles Brown out for that scrimmage, I don't think really helped. And, you know, he's a guy, I don't think, I don't know if we mentioned him, but, you know, obviously for the tackle spots, Charles Brown and Tyron Smith look like they're the two guys that'll be the, the starters there, but like not having a guy like that in, I think it kind of disrupts the offense a little bit, but it's interesting. You want to see what the play call is going to look like. Uh, the last two scrimmages haven't had a lot of offense in it. So there'll be a scrimmage this Saturday open to the public at the Coliseum Saturday afternoon. So, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are going to be out there kind of wondering, whoa, what's the offense going to look like now? Is everyone going to be healthy? 
and and will they be able to run the ball? And I guess that's a good segue to the next group, coach the running backs. And uh, I mean, they have to work really closely with the offensive line. Uh, what is your overall thought on the running backs? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of five star talent there. How they get carries and how it's all split up and who's going to get what touches seem to be a big topic of conversation this fall. Well, it should be because, you know, it's, uh, it's been a committee in the past uh, with a lot of rotation going on and, and so on. And then sometimes uh, I, th- I think even tendencies as far as certain backs being in for certain plays and run pass situations and who's the best pass blocker, who's the best short yardage back or, or whatever. Uh, but I, I think they're smart enough to know that, and as the season goes along, they, they scout themselves, teams, so they know what the other opponent or what the opponent knows about themselves. You always scout yourself. That's something you always do, so you know what the opponent knows about you. But I think Stephon Johnson is, is, is a complete back. Uh, he's had a, um, a great performances. Joe McKnight has been injured more. C.J. Gable, everybody says he's the most complete back. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's a good back. Uh, I haven't been able to. Well, let me finish the backs, and then I'll tell you. Alan Bradford, uh, tremendous back, and and probably may have had the best fall camp, him and Johnson. Curtis McNeil, I loved him in the spring. He's a guy that they couldn't tackle. I I voted him uh, the most valuable player in the spring as far as new, new player. I thought that kid played a lot, but in the in the fall camp here now, he's he's been injured, I think, and he hasn't got as many reps as what people expected him to get. Mark Tyler, I'm still waiting for him. I mean, they, I mean, this kid is a great player. I mean, uh, if this kid ever got to play uh, the number of reps that that he should play, like a lot of these guys, not just not Mark Tyler, uh, he he's a complete guy. He's a like a, a lynch or he's a guy you know he this this guy's a great player and I, I don't know how else to say it but i think i really don't think they're going to decide on one or two backs i think they're going to rotate him again and as the <laughs> backfield coach tom mcnair says he's a psychologist he takes his his couch to the play, playing field you know he's got to talk to these guys all the time because they're all competitive they all want to play and uh, it's very difficult when, you, when you've started it that way because, you know, you have a couple of backs that have transferred. you got Moody. you got Moody starting at Florida. you got Green at Arkansas, and I think he's starting at Arkansas. So, you know, these are great players. Uh, you know, if, if, so you know they're great players if the ones that have left have gone on and started the great programs. So it's, it's, it's really a process of keeping them happy and, and having them compete. And and you've got to watch the attitudes because the attitudes is what make great players. And, and you hear Coach Terrell talk about, Carol talk about competing, competing. You never know when it's your chance. You've got to, this is your play. This is your game. This is your moment. And I think this is what you do with these backs because there's no other way to figure it out. If you, if you don't uh, play them more, like Johnson came back to play, Gable came back. They were talking about leaving. Uh, so it's it's a very delicate situation. So, you know, for me to say who's the best, I don't think I can say who's the best because I don't think any of them have had a chance to demonstrate a full game situation of 
plane. Like if you had a 10-game schedule, 11-game schedule, each one of them started and played the complete game, I'd be able to tell you more. But I haven't been able to see that, so I see them sparingly in and out in great plays from all of them. So it's really a, a hard to say, a hard thing to determine. No, I, I agree with you, Coach. Everyone wants to know what's going on there and how are they going to be used. It's a big part of this, and you mentioned that. You know, Jer- people don't know what a Jerry, Jeremy Bates and John Morton called game is going to look like. So how are those running backs going to be used? Not just who's in, but when they're in. Is it, you know, is Gable in for pass blocking quite a bit, or is, is Bradford in to catch a little pass in the flat more than running the ball? Uh, and then I, I think the last one we could talk about is the fullbacks. How are the fullbacks going to be used when you have some weapons like a Stanley Havili or a, uh, you know, a DJ Shoemate and, and you know, Adam Goodman's played really well? I mean, th- there's a bunch of guys there at fullback that they can be used as weapons. How are they going to be utilized? And what, do you, what are your, I guess, what are your thoughts on those guys? Well, I was planning on going to them next. I'm glad you mentioned it. But Stanley <laughs> Havili, I'll tell you, he is a tremendous player. And really, I don't think he gets the notice that he deserves. He's a complete player. Not only is he a blocking back, he's a running back when he's called upon it. On short yardage situations, a lot of time, he's a leader. Uh, he plays hurt. And he goes out and makes the big play as a receiver. How many fullbacks do you know in college football? that become a split receiver and catch passes down the field and slants. I mean, I don't know of any. I mean, uh, I, I know they don't in the NFL, but this kid does that, and this kid does it well. And, uh, uh, you know, most people, if they were going to split a receiver out there, they'd take the fullback out of the game and bring in Johnson or Osbury or someone else to play out there, but they don't. And he does a great job. I think he's a great player. He's a great blocker. And I think he's he's the most valuable so far as far as the backs are concerned, as far as demonstrating he plays more than any other fullback of who he is and what he can get done. Shoemate, I think this is his position. Uh, he's, a, he's a great athlete. Uh, I've watched him catch the ball. He has great hands. I think he, the blocking portion of his game needs to be improved. Why? He hasn't had to do it before. Adam Goodman, Goodman uh, is a, a tough, good kid. He's a senior. Doesn't have the overall speed, uh, I think, and experience that Havili has, and Shoemate's a better athlete. I, hate, I don't want to say this over another kid because it's not being fair, but I think Havili and Shoemate is a great pair there because Shoemate has been a receiver. He knows how to do that. He's an athlete. Stanley Avili is a tough kid that does it all, and I think he's a great player. I think Shoemate's changed his body, too, to look more like a fullback, and so he's a little bit bigger, a little thicker than he was before, so I think it'll be a, a good position group. I need a lot of talent in the backfield, Coach, so we'll have to see how it's all put together and utilized, and uh, I guess, you know, are you going to be out there Saturday watching the scrimmage? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be there Saturday, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of things. You know what I like to do is get there about 11.30 and watch the drills. Then I like to go up and sit on about the 20-yard line, stay away from the press box, stay away from anybody, sit there at an angle by myself in most cases, and just watch the strategy and watch the game and watch the sidelines as if I was scouting the team. And I'll look to see if ones are going against ones and twos are going against ones or whatever to see who might have the advantage that way too. 
and uh, watch the special teams and watch the substitution because Saturday's game is scheduled or Saturday's scrimmage is scheduled for the exact same time as kickoff, which you normally do for the San Jose State game, which is a week later. So you're a week away, and you've got to get your sideline control in. You've got to get your plays in in time. If there's a delay of game, you've got to have the referee call it. You've got to follow all the rules and regulations now, and the clock should be running so that if you don't get this down now, you're going to get a lot of penalties in the game, especially, you know, on the special teams. If one guy forgets to go out, so you've got to work on your bench discipline and so on with your coaches, who's in charge. Players stay back behind the line so you don't get any warnings. This is, this is dress rehearsal, and, uh, and it's going to be very important that no one gets hurt. Uh, you know, SC has probably had more injuries injuries this fall camp than a lot of the major universities throughout the country. I've been following it. Oklahoma had none. Texas had very few. I haven't heard of any in Florida. Uh, you know, so SC as a fourth-ranked team on most polls, has probably suffered more camp injuries than any other camp. Yet, I want to say this, there isn't another program that practices like USC. Every day is all out. So, you know, you don't have to, you know, show what you have to every bystander that's watching you. Uh, Some practices are open. Oklahoma is a combination of open and closed. When they close them up, they a lot of times walk through drills. So, but at SC, if you're not even in full gear, you're doing the same thing as if you were in full gear. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, don't you know, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, I it's mean, a, it's, it's a great, all out. Yeah, great point. And that there's advantages and disadvantages that go on ones versus ones a lot. Some people shy away from it. Other schools don't. USC is one of those schools that does not. But you can get some injuries sometime. And I, I think that's just, you know, that's a risk Pete Carroll thinks it's willing to take because it prepares the team so much better for the season. Exactly. Let me give you the complete opposite. The University of Hawaii had their scrimmage this past week. Their number one quarterback, his name is Alexander. It was a full scrimmage in Stone. They didn't even allow him to play in the scrimmage. He didn't even play in the scrimmage as far as the chance of getting hurt. So, you know. That just shows you different philosophies by different coaches. Right. All right, Coach. Well, thanks for the, uh, the insights there. And we'll next week we'll talk to you and get your thoughts on what the scrimmage looked like. And we'll finish off the positions. I think we got receivers, tight ends, and uh, quarterbacks left. And then we'll be ready for San Jose State. Can you believe it? It's almost here. It is almost here. It's going to be a great time of year. And for all of the people out there that are football fans and SC fans, it's the best time of the year. And uh, enjoy it because it goes fast, man. It goes fast, and these players work year-round. They really don't have an off-season. They've been on campus all summer, all spring. They work hard. Coaches work hard. And, you know, it all comes down the entire season. Think about this, Ryan. To 12 hours. 12 hours. One hour per game as far as time. Running time. So you can't waste a second of it because you've got thousands of hours invested to make it happen. That's a great way to look at it, Coach. Never even thought of it that way. But uh, we will talk to you next week, and uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much. Everyone else, stay tuned. We're going to talk with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weike after this short break. More about the USC Trojans. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. 
SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are talking USC football with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wykey. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Ryan, thanks for having me as always. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. All right, so uh, first segment, we talked to Coach Harvey Hyde. We're breaking down all the positions. I purposely left out the quarterback spot. I wanted him to break that down kind of next week. When we have some more information, um, we did get a couple questions. And, of course, if you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Uh, Martin wanted to know about Corp. I think we've talked about this before. Is he better? Is Corp better? Is he just safer? And uh, we got a, a really long question from David. And David sent some questions before. And we appreciate it, David. Um, but, it, you know, and all, there's no bad questions. And I don't think it was a bad question. But it's hard to read like eight paragraphs of a question uh, on the podcast. And it, it, it basically boiled down to, he wanted to know what the, the quarterbacks were looking like. So yeah, I mean, I don't mind you guys giving a little extra background info on the questions and stuff, but you know, try to keep them kind of tight so we can, you know, if it's something I can read easier, we can get it up there, read them all, boom, 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 and, and we'll be done. Uh, but I guess, Dan, just uh, get your overall thoughts on the quarterback situation. And we talked about court being safe or whatever there. Yeah, um, I don't know if I, I mean I feel like he is safer um, just because of kind of his style is more a control the ball type of player. He doesn't take as many risks with the ball. He doesn't really go downfield as much as Matt Barkley does, or at least as Matt Barkley wants to. Corp is very very accurate, and I also think the fact that he, he can run kind of enables him to not have to force as much because he can always take off and go. Um, you know, is he better than Matt Barkley? Um, I don't know that yet. Um, I mean, I think it's one of the interesting things about this team and about, I guess, the quarterback situation is that, I mean, you in, in all in all practical sense, we haven't seen any of these guys in, in a number of years. You know, really, I mean, the, the freshest game situations we've seen on any of these guys is Matt Barkley in high school, and we all know that doesn't translate. So, I mean, it, it's difficult to really project just what kind of game quarterback he's going to be. By all accounts, I mean, it seems like he's a guy who's not going to make mistakes, Aaron Corp. But we don't know that yet. Um, You know, as far as how they're looking, Corp looks like, you know, he came back on Tuesday for the first time. um, And, and like, not really the first time, but he did team drills. He he didn't sit anything out. And, And he moved around well. He looked comfortable. He took his reps with the second team. Um, you know, they moved the ball. He didn't do anything spectacular, but, you know, he didn't make any mistakes. Um, Matt Barkley has made mistakes. Um, you know, he said they were on new plays. He got intercepted twice um, yesterday. Uh, he's had two scrimmages to, to, to lead the first-team offense, and, and, you know, the, the results have, have not been good. Um, no matter what anybody says, you can say the defense is playing very well but the results just have not been good for the offense. And, and, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Now, that's not to say that, you know, 
Matt Barkley won't be capable if he has to start against San Jose State because I think he will be because I don't feel the San Jose State secondary is as good as USC secondary. So, I mean, he's, he's playing against good, you know, a, a good, uh, a good secondary already, you know, and, and that's, that's going to go a long way in his development. But as of right now, you know, it's just tough to, I guess, kind of gauge where those guys are at. And I, I think uh, Martin, to answer this question too, just from my opinion of watching, uh, I was really high on Matt Barkley when he first came. I mean, he came out like gangbusters uh, mm-hmm. But it's been a little different since Corp's gone down. And I think this was one of the knocks on Mitch Mustaine when he had opportunities to, like, take over situations from, you know, even a year ago. Just he, he really didn't do it. I think this was Matt Barkley's chance to bury. He could have buried Aaron Corp. I mean, I, I think he had an opportunity to to go out and just kick butt in the scrimmages and, and leave no doubt. But both the scrimmages that he was the starting guy for the number ones uh, they, the, the offense was was really bad, and the last one there was two to nothing. Like nobody scored. So to me, it just seems like confidence-wise, for whatever reason, Carroll's confidence is in Corp, and I think he really likes Barkley. It's the new shiny toy, but I, I just get the sense, and maybe you disagree, Dan. I'm not sure, but I just get the sense that not from what's being said, but just from body language and stuff, it just seems like Carroll has his confidence in Corp, and. You know, Barkley's there if you need to, or, or Mustaine's there if you need to, but it seems like if, if he had his way, Corp would come back and he would start him, and I think he'd sleep better at night knowing that. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, I mean, that's the nature of how Aaron Corp plays football. Now, I mean, you're right. Like, Barkley did have a chance to really, really make this competition, you know, an afterthought. I mean, he could have. But, you know, you have to start thinking now, and this is what I've done, because I was as big of a Matt Barkley proponent as anybody, um, when you look back at, at the throws that he made and the completions he had, now all of a sudden you've got to start thinking, well, who was on the field with him? You know, you have to start thinking about stuff like that because he has looked like a different player. Um, you know, you have, to, you have to wonder if maybe the, the, the thinking about, you know, making sure that he doesn't, turn the ball over by making sure that he throws the ball away. Maybe that's hampered his aggression and maybe that's made him a little more tentative when he has gone downfield. Um, you know, Matt Barkley the other day, even in one on one drills, did something I have never seen him do. And that's what he underthrew a deep ball. I mean, granted it was into the wind and stuff like that, but I wonder if, if maybe some of that stuff I mean he says it hasn't, you know, I've asked him, but I wonder if some of that stuff has kind of hampered his aggression. And maybe he's hit a little bit of a wall here mentally because he's been on, on just on such a grind. And I mean, who could blame him if that was the case? You know, it's been very difficult. I mean, it's such a whirlwind for him to come in and, and play as well as he did. I, I think he's just starting to look a little more freshman-like. Not in a, necessarily a bad way, but you didn't see anything that's just said that screamed true freshman. I mean, when you started watching him in the fall, people would ask, who's the most impressive freshman, his name wouldn't pop up because you didn't think of him as a freshman, you know, but no, now, yeah. now you're seeing it a little bit more. It seems like, okay, that's kind of a freshman mistake. And, you know, I think that's going to pop up more mostly because you're running with the ones against the ones, and it's going to be a little more challenging. You know, it's going to be interesting, Ryan, and I'd love to get your take on this too, is what is this going to, I mean, this is really kind of a defining decision for Carroll in a, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I do think you can make a little bit of a Booty Sanchez comparison. Um, you know, are you going to go with the steady guy? 
um, you know, the John David Booty. Um, I mean, just to, to be, you know, in general terms, that that's Aaron Corp. And are you going to say, you know what, this guy we think is good enough to get us close to national titles. He's not going to hurt us. So we're going to keep him. We're going to keep him as the guy now. And that's great. But if you, if you leave that era without any, any titles to show for it, not only have you not won a national title now, now Matt Barkley's, you know, a junior, you know, or, or, you know, you're going to be a senior. You're only going to have him for one year. And, you know, that's not to say that he couldn't overtake Corp. Um, you know, something that Sanchez never did with Booty. Um, because I think he could. I think he's talented enough to, I mean, without a doubt, I think he's the most talented freshman, if not maybe the most talented player um, on the team in general. But it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go because I do think that if they do end up going, if Corp is moderately healthy and they end up going with Barkley, I think it says a lot about what their expectations are for this year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, it'll, it'll, man, another week or two, and we're going to know some. There'll be a lot of questions answered, and I'm sure there'll be more questions that are generated from that and controversy, which means lots of stuff for us to talk about, Dan. So, One last thought on this, Ryan. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Corp will probably start Saturday in the scrimmage, I would imagine. All right. I, I would. I would just think that that would be the the most prudent thing to do to see him against the ones. If he plays remotely well. The job's his. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I, I mean, if I'm people have asked me on other radio shows, if, if you're a betting man, what would you do? I'd be betting on Corp right now to start. And I, I think what I originally thought before, I, mean, I thought Barkley had a shot. But then these last couple of weeks, it's kind of I think I've shifted back to I, I believe pretty strongly that Corp will be the starter and it'll take Barkley or, or Mustaine possibly to someone's going to have to, you know, watch him falter a little bit and then step in and play and, and, and get and catch fire. So I think that's what, that's, what's going to have to happen at this point, but we don't know. We're after, you know, we're just there watching. We're telling you what we think and uh, we'll find out, especially on Saturday. We'll have to see who starts there. Like Dan said, probably Corp. Uh, let's get to a couple of questions, Dan. Um, Scott wanted to know since the departure of Norm Chow, coach Carroll has been traditionally kind of conservative uh, on offense. You know, we're talking about, quarterback play and stuff and you know it might be a conservative year especially with a new quarterback experienced line experienced running backs seems like you might want to run the ball a little bit more but what do you think the arrival of jeremy bates do you think they can be a little more aggressive uh on offense and you know he he really hopes they can scott really hopes they can even with an inexperienced quarterback back there yeah i think fans want him to be aggressive there's no there's no doubt in my mind that they want to see the big point totals and stuff like that. And I do think that that matters to a relative extent when it comes to votes and stuff like that and figuring out, you know, who's going where at the end of the season. Um, I do get the sense that Bates is a little more aggressive. They'll take shots. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll take a couple shots downfield. But it's going to be a different kind of aggression, I think. It'll be you'll see more creative ways to get the ball to guys like Joe McKnight, Anthony McCoy, Ronald Johnson, Damian Williams. Um, it's, it won't be your traditional, okay, we'll run four guys on vertical routes, we'll throw it down the field, and that look at, look at how aggressive we are. You know, it's not going to be that kind of a thing. I do think that they're going to, you know, at the same time, you mentioned Carroll is a conservative coach. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I've kind of come to that thought after about a year where, you know, you look at the stuff that he does and and the way that they play games. I mean, 
when you when he talks, the most important thing to Pete Carroll is the ball. I mean, he talks about not turning the ball over. Um, I mean, that's a sign of being conservative. You know, he's a defensive coach. And on defense, what's the most important thing to them is to not let the big play happen, which is conservative. I mean, it's smart, too, because of what the talent USC has. They can play like that, you know, with great effectiveness, and they have. Um, but but he it has been a, a kind of a conservative coach. And, and I, I don't see USC completely opening up the offense Checking the ball down the field like crazy, even if it is Matt Barkley, I don't think that that's what they're going to do. All right, uh, thanks for that question, Scott. And this is from uh, Willie Willie Goldsmith. He is an ex-coach. He said forty-four years, and he's a little haunted by some stuff that's been going on. And so I'll give you the kind of gist. There's two parts to this. One, um, he he feels that there's a lack of consistency in maintaining the defensive contain, and he'd like to see a defensive end or outside linebacker always try to contain and attack the outside shoulder of the quarterback. And he also wanted to know, you know, he felt that the defense seems to dominate on first and second down, and then they drop back into a soft zone and allow the opponent to get another first down. So he's he feels that philosophy is defeating the purpose of forcing a third and long, and he wants to see a little bit more, uh, you know, he, he feels that USC has dominating aggressive talent on the defensive side of the ball, and he wants to see them use that. Maybe this can kind of play into your thoughts of, you know, people think of Carroll as an aggressive guy, but maybe, you know, some people feel he can be a little more conservative at times. Yeah, I mean, he's just proven to be conservative. I think one of the things that's interesting is, is you know, you mentioned on, on third down, um, maybe that, they'll, like you said, they drop back into, into a softer zone. I think the you know, the feeling is that they trust their guys up front, um, you know, implicitly. To, to provide a pass rush that, you know, they, they don't necessarily send extra guys on blitzes in those situations a lot. Um, they do some. I mean, you know, Ray Maluga became famous at USC for, for blitzing. Um, you know, he, he was tremendous on the blitz. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, the contain, the contain question, I can't answer. Um, I don't know why they don't do that. Um, you know, it sounds in theory like it would be, <clears throat> excuse me, something that would that could be good but uh yeah it just it just kind of you know it, it's something that I've kind of come to realize that Carroll is not the most aggressive coach I I don't think that's a bad thing it just is maybe surprising to people you know because he's just associated with you know being kind of out of left field and you know he's a liberal and you know all oh, he's aggressive and stuff like that well you know it turns out on the football field he's pretty conservative so I just thought that that was interesting it, it kind of caught me off guard no, I, I think uh, with with Carroll, I think there's a good there's a good aspect to his conservativeness. I think a lot of people think of him as an aggressive guy. So I think if you can have the some of the benefits of people thinking you're a little wild and crazy and aggressive, and I you know he does does that in spots. It's not like he's all like you know super aggressive maniac all the time. But you have the benefits of being conservative as well. It's almost like a, a, a crazy poker player. Like you, as a poker player, you'd want to be thought of as some maniac, so everybody's calling you down with your great hands. But if you're really conservative and then people just think you're a maniac, you know, you're, you're betting when you have the best hand, and they're going to call you because they think you're you're crazy and out of line all the time. So I think I think if he can pull that off, if he makes everyone think that you know he's super aggressive, but he actually has a conservative style. I mean, obviously, it, it seems to be pretty useful. Yeah, I mean. It- I was, this is, uh, you know, one of the things that I was talking about with a couple other guys, um, you know, at practice the other day is that, you know, it's so hard to quibble 
with, with what they've done. Um, you know, I mean, you can make the argument that, you know, USC should have, should have won more national championships. And I think if you ask Pete Carroll if that was the case, he would feel that way too. But, I mean, that's we're talking about being the best team in college football that year um, in terms of, you know, the awards or the, champ- or the, the title, you know. And while USC hasn't won a lot of those, they've also been widely considered to be playing the best football and have the most talent on the football field at the end of each season, too, which is, I mean, a remarkable accomplishment to happen over a seven-year stretch. I mean, that's it's really incredible. And, and I think, you know, you start to nitpick a little bit at, at things like this, and you and you wonder, you know, oh, what could they have done differently? Why, you know, oh, I wish they would just blitz more, or oh, I wish they would stretch the field more. Really, they've established what what they've done has worked, and I think to deviate from that would be more foolish than it would be. I mean, they'll tweak it, but I think to completely leave what they've done and and uh, to change styles at this point in the game just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it is funny when people kind of nitpick. It's just it's hard to argue with the results. So, you know, he's had so much success. Uh, he doesn't like to change his philosophies. You know, so if if it's working for him, he likes to keep doing it, and that's what we'll keep seeing and. You know, we'll see. I, I think the the USC fans have got a little frustrated with you know twelve and one or eleven and two type seasons, which normally you would think that's amazing, but being so close each year, and then they're kind of like, well, if we tweak this or we tweak that, Carroll's does what he wants to do, you know, and uh, you can't argue with the results there. So it, it's yeah. hard to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been remote. It's been remarkably successful. It's it's tough to to kind of like you said to kind of pick that apart, but. That's what we do. I mean, that's what fans do. That's what the media does. Um, you know, it's it's in our nature as a society to do that. So, I, I I mean, it's not surprising, but it's just again, it's one of those things. I think every once in a while, you have to. It, it behooves you to take a step back and kind of look at the big picture and, and say, "Wow, you know, this is some pretty incredible things have happened here over the past decade." All right. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us. We're gonna we'll talk to you next week about the uh, scrimmage and then obviously heading into San Jose State. So uh, thanks for your time. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Ron. All right, everyone else. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting in the next segment with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned. Tons of questions, a lot of wide receiver talk, a lot of wide receiver questions. So we'll get to that after this 30-second break. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, we're going to talk in this segment to uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, making promises uh, behind my back. <laughs> we're promi- promising the people they want their recruiting fix. It's like a drug. They need to talk recruiting. And no one knows more about USC football recruiting than you, Gerard. So we have to get you on the phone. Hope that's okay. Made, made some guarantees there, but I'm glad to come through in the uh, in the clutch, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, okay. Well, 
the 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 questions this week it seems to be a lot centered on the wide receivers um and uh yeah so i mean we'll get to some of these first but the first one's from uh jd white he's from maryland and he wanted to know what the chances were with uh, kyle prater uh now that robert woods has committed and the same thing he wanted to know about christian thomas uh with Grimble and Telfair on the board. Kyle Prater, 6'5", 195-pound wide receiver from Hillside, Illinois, number one wide receiver ranked in the nation by Rivals.com. Uh, I think Wood's commitment has no effect on Prater, um, vice versa. I think those guys coming into the recruiting process are, are pretty much independent of each other, basically because they're two very different wide receivers. One is a Z, one is a Y. Uh, Prater is definitely going to be more of that split end. He's got the height. He's more of the David Osbury, Patrick Turner. Uh, some comparisons have been made to Mike Williams. He's a different player than Mike Williams. He's not as physical as Mike Williams. Mike Williams is a very aggressive, uh, physically strong, a guy who could really run after the catch a lot because he was so physical. And even though he was 6'5", and he was 225, 200, almost 230 pounds coming into college, uh, he was a guy that really ran like a running back once he got the ball in his hands. And he was tough, and he was aggressive, and he was going to go put a shoulder on somebody, and he would look for contact. Prater is definitely more of a skill-type player and a guy that I think Patrick Turner tends to be a little more of a comparison uh, in terms of a guy that, that really runs good routes. He's smooth. Um, he's got deceptive quickness. You really look at him running and you think, oh, the guy's kind of slow, but he's just a long strider. So he's really taking up a lot of ground and moving pretty good. It's just that he's got long strides and he doesn't look like he's moving real quickly. Um, so he's that type of receiver, which is very different than Robert Woods, who's more of the Z, um, more of a Steve Smith type guy. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say he is like Steve Smith, but in terms of categorically looking at receivers, that's more of the type of receiver he's going to be. Kerry Colbert, a guy who's got great hands. Um, as an athlete, you know, and we talked about it in our future impact piece that we did last week, he could really play at both sides of the ball. Um, Ronald Johnson is even probably a good comparison to Robert Woods in that he's a guy that's very dynamic with the ball in his hands, but he can stretch the field. He's got really good speed. He's got good size. Uh, but overall, as a player, he's probably better than he is as just a pure receiver at this point. I and mean, when you're talking about an athlete, let's say you're playing seven-on-seven, seven, Robert Woods is one of those guys you want to pick on your team because he can do it all. He can play corner. He can play free safety. He really, you have to watch him when he's playing special teams to really appreciate what he can do athletically because this is a guy that when you look at punt returns and kick returns, great punt returner, great kick returner. Um, I mean, he scored a bunch of kick returns for touchdowns for Sarah in the past couple of years. 6'1", 180, 185 pounds. He can move. He's got good awareness in space. He's got good awareness in traffic, too, and can make good moves and get away from, you know, a little bit of contact, and then, bang, gets in the open field and has enough speed to beat the angle. But when you're looking at him in terms of kick coverage, that's really where you get excited about a guy because he can make an impact in games that way. I mean, he's a guy that's always around the football. If there's a strip, 
a fumble. He seems to be in the right place at the right time, and that's the kind of thing that really makes him an elite player. That's why he's really a five-star. It's not necessarily because he's this phenomenal receiver that's unstoppable. Prater is a little more of the pure receiver. That's the guy that's caught a lot of touchdown passes and made the big plays a receiver. Not to say that Robert Woods hasn't done that, but Robert Woods has done it running the ball. Robert Woods has done it intercepting passes. And like I said, I mean, he's a guy that's made a lot of great plays uh, just, you know, on a special teams, maybe in a coverage unit. And I think that's where he can make an impact at college immediately, regardless of what the depth chart's going to be at receiver, regardless of what he learns, how fast he learns the offense, because USC will take him as a receiver. It's more about, you know, he can step on the field and do a lot of things, little things, type of intangible things that you wouldn't necessarily depend on uh, as, as a five-star player coming into a program. So they're very different players, and I think that, those guys are, are, in terms of looking at the depth chart and looking at who's committing where, they're both really good players. I don't think either is going to be intimidated uh, by each other. And because they play really two different positions, although technically it's just wide receiver, it's not going to impact their decision at all. All right, and what about uh, on the Christian Thomas front? Christian Thomas, uh, you know, it, for him it's more about just getting his grades straight right now. I, I don't think he's really looking so much at depth charts and, you know, he needs to have the opportunity to play college football before we get into specifics about where he's playing college football. Um, now, if you want to put that aside and say, okay, you know, here's a guy, let's say he's, you know, good, going to qualify. He's got all his ducks in a row. Um, he's a little different than Grimble specifically. Grimble's a big, big tight end. He's a big kid. He's a 6'4", you know, borderline 6'5", 250-pound tight end. Phenomenal blocker, really good hands, quicker than he is fast. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to stretch the field for you. Um, he's just a really big body that can get in there and pound away, you know, possession type receiver. Um, Telfer is a a little bit closer to what Christian Thomas is in terms of he's a little more of a receiver. But I would go to say that Christian Thomas is probably the most explosive tight end in the country. I think the only guy that I would say maybe has a, an argument there in terms of being explosive as a receiver and with the ball in his hands and getting yak yardage, yards after catch, will maybe be Gerald Christensen, uh, who's out of uh, um, he's out of Florida. He's a kid that probably going to end up maybe Florida State or some one of those schools. Um, but he's a little smaller. He's a 6'3", 220, 225-pound um, tight end, flash athlete. Uh, that is also a little undersized, but is a guy that, you know, once he gets the ball in his hands, can do some great things. Christian Thomas is powerful. He's a guy 6'3", 240 pounds, and you watch him run after the catch. And, again, this is a guy kind of going back to uh, the comparison with, with Mike Williams and what Mike Williams was coming out of high school. It's one thing to be a great receiver, catch the ball, and then be a guy that just really can't do anything with the ball in your hands after you make the catch. This is a kid, Christian Thomas, kind of similar to Mike Williams. Once he gets the ball in his hands, man, he knows what to do. And he, he runs like all of a sudden he's a running back once he's got the ball in his hands. So he's, he's a very explosive guy. And I think, having said that, still different than really Telford Grimble. Grimble is a little more balanced, can do both things, really, really good blocker, really physical. you got to watch him. I mean, he looks like a pulling guard sometimes when he's uh, at, on the edge actually doing uh, run blocking for Bishop Gorman. I mean, he's a guy that puts people on their backs. I mean, he can pancake block people as a tight end right here, right now. You don't see that physicality a lot from tight ends at the high school level. Then Telfer is kind of the opposite, more of a receiver than he is a, a big-time blocker. He's actually surprisingly good for uh, a tight end in terms of blocking at this level at high school. Um, but 
skinnier, uh, long, lean, very raw, has been playing football for a long time, and tends to be a little more of a receiver, a guy that you would look at and go, he could almost be a wide out um, in comparison to a guy like Grimble who's just got a big body. Christian Thomas, maybe in between, a guy that, you know, we've bantered about trying to think, could he play fullback maybe? I think he's a little tall for that. I mean, he's legitimately in the 6'3 range the last time we saw him. In the Nike camp a couple years ago, we saw him. He was about 6'2", and if he would have stayed at that height, it had been like maybe there's a possibility he's a guy who can actually pull the age back, maybe play a little fullback. But I think at this point he's getting a little tall for that. Um, but still, very dynamic, very explosive. You know, is he going to be looking at these other tight ends and thinking, okay, where do I go? I don't think it's going to make a huge impact. Um, again, kind of different players, and I think these guys kind of see it for themselves. All right. Thanks to uh, J.D. and uh, Marilyn for that question. And uh, we have questions from Mitchell and West L.A. and Brandon, and they're kind of the same thing. I want to kind of group them together, but it's more about the wide receivers, and there's a couple different issues here. I'll go through them real quickly with you, Gerard. But there's some rumors going around that uh, for Kenny for Kenny Stills is no longer being recruited by USC or didn't have a doesn't have a scholarship offer anymore. I want to maybe kind of address that, but um, you know, also saying that you know is USC only going to take two wide receivers in this class, and is that why they would cool off if they really are cooling off on someone like Kenny Stills? And and having said that, does that mean that Cal Prater is a, a a silent commit to USC at this point? So there there's kind of some different issues there maybe you kind of address like the it's kind of the general overall recruiting for the wide receiver position this year for usc a lot of speculation in that speculation question. everywhere yeah there's there's people talking about rumors and all kinds of rumors innuendos all of that well first and foremost uh the kenny stills rumor is not a rumor i, I actually posted that on the peristyle uh the night that he talked to john morton he texted me and let me know that uh usc was moving in a different direction and that uh, they had filled up on their receiver class and you know Kenny's a, an awesome kid and an awesome receiver and we'll see you know how that develops and and where he decides to go but uh, that's true um, how that affects Prater or how that involves Prater we'll see you know I'm not going to talk about silent commitments and whether guys have given winks and nods and, you know again speculation and and we'll see what goes on Prater is supposed to announce his commitment to a school September 2nd. We'll see if that happens. Um, so that's that. You know, there's speculation there, and then there's also fact there. Um, how does it affect the overall recruitment of receivers? How many receivers is USC taking? I think USC will end up taking three receivers. Um, the beauty in that answer to that question is that who are the three receivers? <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, there you can you can mix and match names. You can take guys from other positions and say, well, you know, maybe that's the three. Uh, you know, maybe it's it's a little bit of a, a Rubik's cube, a, a shell game. Um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I mean, USC is going to have one of, if not the best receiver classes, I think, in the nation this year. Um, they're really poised. They lose. Quite a few guys year after next. They're really top heavy with juniors, and they've got five juniors on the roster, and they've only recruited two receivers in the last two classes. So it's not a position that they've really recruited in bulk the last few years, and they need to get some guys. They need to get some numbers. And this year, things are lining up well that they only get they not only get quantity, but they're going to get some quality this year. All right, and then Mitchell kind of had a follow up, and you you really mentioned the first part of his question that the the numbers haven't been, you know, 
extensive as far as recruiting receivers recently. There's five juniors that'll be leaving in a couple years. He wanted to look ahead for the, you know, he felt that maybe only two scholarships you know, would go to wide receivers in this class, but you're saying probably three. Uh, but would that mean they'd have to take two or three or more in the uh, 2011 class? And, you know, guys like George Farmer and them, um, do, you, do you think they'd have to take a few more receivers because there's so many they'll be leaving uh, in two years? Well, two points of discussion, one being that the 2011 class is pretty strong with receivers, and we say that projecting right now because you never know how guys will really develop. Um, Antoine Arnold is a guy that we thought he might be able to grow in and mature into being a guy that would rival George Farmer's receiver. Thus far, we haven't seen it. George Farmer, in my opinion, is clear and far the best receiver in the 2011 class in California, maybe let alone the nation. I mean, he has definitely continued to grow physically. He looks like he's almost a legitimate 6'3 now. He's a good-looking kid. So, you know, you never – I mean, there's a long time we're talking about to 2011. So, you know, in that case in point, we have to kind of look at the numbers and say, okay, it looks like it's going to be a good year, but we'll see how guys develop over that year. Um, I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is who does USC actually take in 2010 and what actually happens. Now, I think they want to get three guys. We'll see what happens, who those three guys are, and who they can actually get because, while they may get commitments, who they sign can be different. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on between now and actually National Sign Day. And when you get guys committing, sometimes it's a domino effect. And there's questions about, you know, does Robert Woods' commitment affect Cal Prater? Does, you know, the commitment of Grimble and Telfer affect Christian Thomas? You know, how do these guys affect each other? Well, we can project and say, I don't think it really projects that this guy is going to affect this guy, you know, the two different players. But, you know, things happen. And, and, and you know, Randall Carroll is an example. Uh, Morel Presley, I mean, Morel Presley is a guy that, you looked at USC's depth chart and you said, you know, USC could really use a tight end in that class, and you wouldn't assume, you know, more Presley, anything would go on with him where he would start to have second downs and think all of a sudden that the depth chart at USC wasn't good enough for him and that he would have better playing time at UCLA. Well, lo and behold, he's sitting on the bench at UCLA right now in fall camp. Um, he's fallen down the depth chart, and this is a guy who actually enrolled in spring. So, you know, USC, they've got a bunch of guys that are sitting on the bench because they're hurt. That would have been an opportunity maybe for Merle Preston to come in and get some reps at USC, and maybe he makes a splash. So, yeah, logically, you know, sitting on the sideline kind of watching the way things go, we assume certain things. Okay, the depth chart looks like this. But sometimes you can see things differently. You know, for right or for wrong, that's for them to do and for them to decide. But those things can, you know, things can change. So that's what's really going to affect, you know, how many guys did they take in 2011? And it's really hard to know because we've got to see who they're going to take in 2010 first. And then we have to see how that 2011 class develops. Right now it looks good. It looks like there's, you know, four or five guys that are going to be top players. But, you know, maybe by this time next year we're only looking at two guys and saying, yeah, you know what, those other guys, after camps, after watching them in person, through spring ball, they're really not as legit as we thought they were. You know, this guy was listed at 6'2", 
180 pounds. Turns out he's only 5'11", 160 pounds. That happens from time to time where you get a guy in a camp situation and you just realize he's not what he was sold as being. So that's what we got to look at. That's what we have to consider, you know, starting to project all the way into 2011. I will say that George Farmer definitely looks like he's the real deal. He has a scholarship offer from USC already. And unless something crazy happens, it looks like USC is going to be in the driver's seat uh, for his commitment throughout the process. All right, cool. That's our questions for this week. Um, but before I let you go, Joe, I wanted a couple topics I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh, you had a really good piece on, uh, you know, one of the biggest recruits in the country, Ronald Powell, uh, and a lot of his interest. You know, talking about his interest in Florida. I think that might have made some of the USC fans a little uneasy. But obviously, Florida's a great program, and he's a great player. And then, you know, who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, I think a lot of people think he's a a lean to USC. But just maybe kind of give people a little general. Uh, overview of what your thoughts were talking to Ronald Powell. Well, I mean, for a while, Ronald Powell has definitely been enamored with Florida, and uh, he's made two unofficial visits to Florida, and really spent more time in Gainesville, I think, this past summer than he has at USC. I think he went to the USC Rising Stars camp, uh, had a great camp there, um, but has also been to Florida for two camps and didn't really show up for any of the spring uh, or summer workouts or the fall camp. He has not been at USC for any of the scrimmages or things like that. Now, USC is definitely still involved in his recruitment. You know, they're definitely going to be, I don't know if I would say a team to beat, because I think he really likes Florida enough at this point that I would honestly have to give Florida a little bit of a lead. Um, now, Ron's not going to come out and say that, and I know Ron well. And, you know, he he's, I think, not ready and not serious enough right now with recruiting to go out and say, you know, he has a leader. So he's doing the smart thing. But in terms of feelings, in terms of if we're looking at, you know, signing day being tomorrow, I think Florida might have a real good shot at signing him. And that's kind of been the case here for a little bit. He's been enamored. We have to see what happens here as official visits come along. And really when recruiting starts to become more serious uh, the big change the news in his recruitment was that you know ken norton was going to start to get a little more involved he did play middle linebacker at the rising stars camp he played middle linebacker as a freshman at rancho verde which we talk about in the story and his transition to now playing middle linebacker as a senior so it's a little bit of coincident uh coincidental that usc played him at linebacker looked at him and didn't immediately start recruiting him at linebacker, though. They're still recruiting him at defensive end, even though he played linebacker at the Rising Stars. But now that he's going to be playing linebacker for Rancho Verde his senior year, going back to that position, USC has decided, all right, maybe Ken Norton needs to get involved here, continue to evaluate him, maybe he becomes a linebacker, which if he can become a linebacker, and he's certainly got the athleticism, but there are other things, there's other you know attributes that you have to consider. If he could become a legitimate linebacker prospect, it would be huge for USC. One, because the depth chart at, I think, linebacker is much you know, more attractive to any recruit uh, at USC than defensive end. You know, defensive end, USC has really done well the last few years recruiting-wise. Um, now, it's a position where you can rotate a lot of guys and you can you know, get different guys, but this is also a good year for defensive ends. So you've got guys like Jackson, Jeffcoat, who's, you know, one of the top defensive ends in the nation, 6'5", 235 pounds, the son of Jim Jeffcoat, played for the Dallas Cowboys. USC's got a really good shot at him, too. So in terms of the numbers game and, and where you're trying to hoard talent, if you can spread it out a little bit and get a guy like Ronald Powell at the linebacker position, which is going to be difficult to recruit this year. There are not a lot of great in-state linebackers, 
most of those guys are out of state, and they're far out of state. So USC's really, and we talked about this last week, I think trying to get that one guy from out of state that they can kind of cherry pick and then maybe bring it together with a couple guys that are in state, a couple guys that are maybe less known, less heralded, but can still be contributors. Now, if you bring Ronald Powell into that mix and all of a sudden he becomes a, that, a part of that class, well, then that's, that's really going to pick up the talent level and the overall you know, ability that you get in the class for the linebackers for 2010. So you know, that would really be a big boost. It would be easier to probably recruit him at linebacker. At this point, and I also talked to him, which is going to be an interesting facet of his recruitment, the position of preference that he has. He plays three different positions, and, man, he is good at three different positions. And we've been talking about this for a while as well. Going back to his freshman year, the kid caught 30 balls for 500 yards. A freshman playing varsity football. This is when you know I first kind of came about him, and I was like, wow, okay, so the guy's got athletic ability. He's got ball skills as a freshman. And that was when he was just a chubby little freshman who honestly to me looked like, well, that kid could end up growing into being the next Daryl Russell. I mean, that's kind of the way his body looked to me. Well, he's one of the few recruits that I've come across that's actually leaned out, gotten taller, gotten in better shape, and just chiseled himself into being the guy that he is today, which is, you know, 6'4", 225 pounds, and runs, you know, a 4'5", So, you know, now he's kind of become this different type of prospect, physical freak. We've seen him on both coasts. The East Coast people raved about him, just like the people here in the West Coast when we saw him at the Rising Stars camp, which kind of says a lot. And very few recruits are able to go to the Rising Stars camp, dominate, turn around and go to Florida, Florida Friday night's camp, and dominate the same way. So that tells you what kind of you know athlete he is. But we've also seen him play a linebacker. We've seen him play defensive end. And we've played, seen him play slot and tight end. And he's been, all, he's been good at all three. I mean, very, very good against very good competition. I asked him, I said, what's your preference here? Because that could come into play when you're starting to talk about that charts and where these schools are able to recruit him at. Now, a lot of the schools are just saying, hey, you know what? We want you as an athlete. We're not going to go on record and say we want you in a specific position because they know that, well, he may not want to be that position maybe a couple months from now because he plays all these different positions in high school. He's moving to linebacker, but obviously he's played defensive end, and he plays receiver and running back at Rancho Verde as well. So that's the position that – or that's the question that I asked him of, and he was you – know, he kind of said, you know, I like defensive end, but I like tight end, and I like linebacker too. And I said, okay, Ron, that, that gets us nowhere. We know that. <laughs> um, what, what, and I said, okay, let me change the question up what would you say that you're best at right now? What position maybe do you feel you have the most potential at? And he thinks maybe tight end. And I said, okay, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I think if we play tight end and we ran more tight end sets at Rancho Verde, I'd be the number one tight end in the nation. I said, okay, but you're the number one defensive end in the nation. Yeah, but I think I'd probably be even better at tight end. So, interesting, (laughs) you know, I'm He's looking maybe at, you know, having the ball in his hands. We've seen him play in the slot and tie it in. He went to the FBU camp in the Coliseum and was just lights out. I mean, he was really, I mean, we came away in that camp in February saying if he was going to play tight end, he'd be the best tight end in the nation. And I believe that still. But, you know, as a linebacker, quite frankly, he's got to be one of the probably top three guys in the nation, I think. And he's never really played the position seriously. He's going to play the position now this year. And I talked about the transition to playing as a freshman compared to playing now. And he admitted, you know, as a freshman, I kind of just did it. 
I was out there. I just played by the seat of my pants. I wasn't necessarily dependent on to be a guy that was like a big-time player. Now he's going to be a leader. Now he's got to make a lot of the plays. They have to funnel a lot of the offense uh, his way so he can make plays. I mean, the real thought process behind it, last year playing defensive end, teams just ran away from Ronald Powell. You know, they, they could really phase him and scheme him out of the game. Now you put him at middle linebacker, uh, if you scheme it properly, you can funnel a lot of plays to him, and he can get in the passing game a lot more and become, you know, a little more of a, a factor, you know, gets cover two, put him out into the flats. You can take a lot way, a lot more of your offense away playing right in the middle of the defense. So this year, you know, it's got to be more serious. So we're going to see him transition a little bit, and we'll see how he develops. It'll be interesting. He's got, like I said, all the athleticism in the world. I mean, he's a 37-inch, 38-inch vertical leap guy. Like I said, four five six, electronic 40. He's legitimately 6'3 six, 6'4", 225 pounds. It's just a matter of, you know, can he be quick enough? Does he have the instincts, the aggressiveness, um, you know, the play in space and to do things? In the camp setting where it's a little bit of a, a disadvantage for the defense, he did play really well, and he did do some good things in space. So we'll see if he's able to translate that into pads coming up this year. All right, Gerard. Thanks. We might have to go to the Peristyle and talk some of the uh, Trojan fans off the ledge that Ronald Powell likes Florida so much. But it's not, it's not a done deal, right? No. I mean, like I said, <laughs> signing days are long day and long ways yes. away. And, but it's, you know, it's a legitimate interest, and it is what it is. You know, we, we have to be objective, and we have to look at this thing, and I don't want to just, you know, blow smoke up people's rear ends and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be SC. You know, don't worry about anything. I mean, you know, there's programs across the nation that are going to come in to SC's backyard and try to make a statement. I think Florida, with this recruitment, is really trying to make a statement. USC for years has gone into Florida, gone into South Florida, gone into, you know, Central Florida, and plucked really good players out of that state. And Florida, I think, is trying to gain a little bit of national recognition as being more of a national powerhouse with recruiting because USC, to this day, it still is the national standard when it comes to recruiting nationally. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, so don't worry, Trojan fans. There's a lot left. And it'll be much more sweeter, a lot more sweeter for Trojan fans if he does sign with USC now, knowing that Urban Meyer's coming after him so hard. But uh Anyway, thank you, Gerard, for all of the uh, great insights on recruiting as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Okie dokie. All right, everyone else, thank you for tuning in. Check back in next week for the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be talking more about Trojan football then. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 